Welcome to the Orville City Council special meeting of January 28th, 2021. I'm calling this meeting to order. Madam Clerk, may I have the roll? Councilmember Pittman? Here. Councilmember Smith? Here. Councilmember Riggs? Here. Councilmember Hatley? Here. Councilmember Goodson? Here. Vice Mayor Thompson? Here. Mayor Reynolds? Here. Mr. Mayor, can I have one second to get someone to confirm they can hear me on Zoom because yes. Scott did not acknowledge me. Yes. City Attorney Scott Huber, can you hear me? City Attorney Scott Huber, can you hear me? You can. Yes, I'm sorry, Steve, you can hear us? Yes, ma'am. Okay, thank you. I just need to clarify that we could hear. Thank you. Do you have it? Okay. Um, Scott has not. Scott, City Attorney Scott Huber, can you hear? Yes, I can hear. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. I had some audio issues a moment ago. Sorry about that. Thank you. No worries. We're already in session, so uh, will you stand with me for the Pledge of Allegiance? Salute. Pledge. States of America. Looking for a motion to adopt the agenda. I move that we adopt the agenda. I'll second that. Motion carries with seven yeses and zero noes. Okay, moving on to regular business. We have one item. Presentation from Cal Fire for fire protection service for the city of Orville. Good morning, council members, Mayor Reynolds. Um, hopefully you're enjoying the weather. We finally, we finally have some. It's making us extremely happy um, from what we've seen over the last couple of years to get a little precipitation. Um, I'm John Messina. I'm the Cal Fire Unit Chief for Butte County and representing City of Gridley, Paradise, and Biggs, and the County of Butte through Cooperative Fire Protection Agreements. And a little bit about myself. I, this morning I got up and I was adding up the years. I started in 1991, <clears throat> and it seems like through my career it's like you know 10 years, 20 years. Well, this year hits the 30-year mark of, of fire service for me. Um, when I began my career early on, I did seasonal work, wildland work with the Bureau of Land Management while I attended San Diego State. Once I graduated, um, I, I gained employment with CAL FIRE, and since then I've spent my entire career um, here in Butte County for the last 25 years. I've gone through the air program, administration, operations. Um, prior to this job, I uh, was the town of Paradise Fire Chief and the North Division Chief. And my predecessor, Chief Hawks, who put the majority of this proposal together that we're presenting today, um, left in June and I 
uh, filled his position. And the reason, the reason why I bring that up is had we had not had a pandemic, I would have had the entire executive staff here today. And I was able to bring Chief Reed. I thought it was appropriate to bring one, not the rest. Their backgrounds are similar to mine. Chief Reed, the administrative chief, has got 31 years in service. Uh, Ken Lowe is the South Operations Chief, and he's at 32 years of service. Mike Weber runs the Butte Fire Center uh, Assistant Chief. He's at 31 years. And we call him the, the baby. And Garrett Schoen runs the North Division, and he's got 25 years of service. So when we, when we convened to discuss this with Chief Hawks on whether or not we should even move a proposal forward um, based off the request for proposal from Orville, um, we convened and we discussed it. And um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of criteria we go through on the Cal Fire side to, to, to whether or not it meets our criteria to move forward. But the first thing we asked ourselves were, is it what's best for the community of Orville, the citizens and the surrounding community? And that, that's what takes precedence over everything. And with all that 125 years of experience or, or whatever it is, every one of us said, it, we, we could provide a higher level of service for the surrounding community through a cooperative agreement. So that's how we got to this and getting this propo proposal out. Now when I talk about level of service, I want, I want to make sure everybody understands we're not talking about the individual fire engine with the individual firefighter driving to a call. Level of service encompasses everything that has to do with the fire department from taking the 911 call all the way through to dispatching, emergency response, even to the point of us servicing you like we are today, that's part of our, our fire department operation and customer service. So it's not, it's not just a individual responding on a fire engine. If it was, you guys are fine um, when, it, when it comes to that. So when, we, when I was developing this presentation, it was a little difficult because I really feel the proposal is very thorough and comprehensive. There's a lot of components in it. And for me to stand here and go over each one, we'd be here for three weeks. So what I did is I, I tried I tried to pull out some of the issues that most governing bodies have or, disc or, or uh, questions they have when these type of things move forward. So with that, before we jump into it, I just want to make one other thing, um, one other statement. I am not here as a salesman. I'm not here to sell CAL FIRE to you. I'm here as a fire chief of a CAL FIRE unit who presented you a proposal. I'm going to tell you the facts. I want this dialogue to be as extremely upfront, and I will be too. If you have a, a question, there's no tough question. What I want to do, you, do to you today is give you the information you need to make an educated decision on where you want to go with your fire department. So a little bit about CAL FIRE. Um, I, I'm sure you guys all are, are quite aware of, of CAL FIRE, but statewide we have 800 um, county and, or excuse me, local government and state fire stations. We're, we're, we're the third largest fire department in the United States when we talk statewide. We staff 1,095 fire engines statewide. We have 53 for aircraft. Matter of fact, the state of California has the largest aircraft fleet in the world when it comes to firefighting. 58 bulldozers. Um, we have 6,100 full-time employees. Now, don't quote me on that because, as you guys know, as budget cycles go on, our, our staffing increases and fluctuates, um, and there's a lot of fluctuation going on on the resource management side and the fuel reduction side. So those numbers are going to come up. And what we're here today is talk about cooperative fire protection agreements. We provide, through those agreements, services to 110 cities, districts, and counties. Largest being Riverside County, which is over 100 stations. Within Riverside County, there's multiple cities. Some of them are over 200,000 um, residents. 
So our model is uh, capable, our fire protection model is capable of servicing municipal departments around the, uh, the state. And, and also the six all hazard incident management teams. You guys are no stranger to those incident management teams that we've, we've had six since 2017 that's required them in the county. Of those, just about everyone's impacted the Oroville City in some way, whether it's evacuate, evacuees coming in or you actually evacuees yourself. So you're no stranger to those. When we get specific to Butte Unit and the cooperative fire uh, protection that we have in Butte Unit, the best way to describe it is an integrated, cooperative, regional approach. We're all one fire department, regardless of funding source. Um, at our peak, we have 332 career firefighters, 151 volunteers through the county. We staff 22 fire stations with a total of 29 fire engines. Um, we have hand crews up in Megalia through the C, uh, 3C program. We have a regional training facility out at, out at Openshaw, certified instructors, and something that I'm proud of is our special teams between a regional hazmat team, it's a type two hazmat team, um, which is very little difference between a type one and a type two other than weapons of mass destruction, some, some uh, capability to handle those. Our water rescue team this year was certified as an OES type one water rescue team. There's only 14 of those in the state. It's a very prestigious honor for the group of firefighters we've had to put the time and effort into providing, um, allowing us to be typed out that way. And then we have our, our rope, rope rescue. So we've been providing cooperative fire protection in Butte County um, since 1931 for the county. And as you can see on those dates, in 1991, Gridley decided to sign into an agreement with Cal Fire, Biggs in 1995, and the Town of Paradise in 2012. We have some core values that doesn't matter who or what the department is in the county. Our core values are effective communication, com uh, cooperation, professional coordination, commitment to serve. And I can tell you the most important to me, and I get to send that leader's intent down to the floor level, is the customer service that we provide. That is the number one reason why we have public safety is serving the public and making their day better. Something else that I'm proud of within this county is we really strive to be a hometown fire department. Um, within our cooperative fire protection agreements, um, those cities and counties we've talked about, we are deeply rooted in the community. It's, it's the expectation for management that we will participate school programs, parades, we're out in the public because we truly are service for the public, that customer service portion of it. And, and th that philosophy is gonna stay in this, as long as I'm the, the fire chief, that philosophy of that hometown fire department will always be a priority within, within this unit. Something else that I'm, I'm proud of this unit is our, our ability now to manage large scale disasters and, and plan for them. As you guys know, with between the, the Oroville spillway incident, the pandemic, the wildfires we've had, we've got 19 employees within our unit that serve on those incident management teams from incident commanders all the way down to facility unit leaders. And that, that, um, that experience we've gained has helped us dramatically when we have the North Complex or another pandemic. Multiple of, uh, employees have gone down to Sacramento um, early on in the pandemic, and we were responsible for some of the coordination of standing up the field hospitals. Um, and that, that experience will bleed over to any operation we have within the unit and our cooperators um, through, through agreements. 
So any, any questions? I, you guys, if you have questions, I want you, you're more than welcome to to interrupt with this. So cooperative fire protection agreement. What are some of the benefits of it? You become part of an integrated regional fire protection system, and you immediately become part of a highly functional all-risk fire department with access to robust resources. So that previous slide that showed what we have in Butte Unit. Long story short, the way I kind of explain it is, is those are your resources. Doesn't matter who pays for them. Should Oroville need them for any specific reason, they all are the resource pool we drive from. Now that same conversation goes to the city of Biggs, Gridley, Paradise, and the county. We will drive from everywhere to mitigate an emergency while taking in consideration our obligations to backfill and, um, and provide what's within the agreement should, should something move forward. Standard response plan for dispatching resources. Anything that Oroville does, we will look at it and we will we'll, we'll mold it with uh, our standard response plan within the county, meaning depending on the type of emergency, they get a, a set number of resources. Right now, without an auto aid agreement, you have two fire engines in the city. Should Home Depot catch on fire, with no auto aid agreement, two fire engines go there. In the county, we're at five fire engines and a ladder truck for the first alarm, not to mention all the overhead personnel to assist it. So when I talk about standard response plan, it doesn't matter. That would become the new standard response plan. You would get those resources on that type of call. Regardless, we would draw them from outside the area to fill those, fill those um, um, positions. Closest resource concept. Now, I will tell you, we're already kind of practicing that with the auto aid agreements. The issue is it's, it's reciprocal. And not only is it reciprocal, it's voluntary. There's no guarantee that our closest engines can provide service right now to Oroville in any given day. We have our own mission to handle. You have your own mission. Should a cooperative fire agreement um, occur, you become part of our mission and we, we make sure that those closest resources are available for Oroville City. Providing enhanced response to large scale and simultaneously in incidents. And as we go through today, you'll see um, I didn't, this is not a standards of cover, nor is it a, uh, um, an assessment of your fire department performance levels. This is purely just me giving you the benefits of, of what we offer in this proposal. But I will tell you one of the things that probably Oroville is lacking on the fire department size is the ability to respond to large scale and simultaneous incidents. It's no fault of the firefighters, has nothing to do with their skill set, has to do with resource allocations. Two fire engines get eat up extremely fast. Um, you start to have call stacking, and that's just, it's, Oroville City is a busy fire department, and two engines have a tough time staffing all the needs that are out there. And what it also does is a, a cooperative fire agreement also brings the, the department closer to the NFPA 1710 standards for emergency response. Now remember, those are guidelines, and very, very, Rarely did anybody in the county meet those guidelines, but it brings us much closer to those industry standards. Now, your industry standard, or excuse me, your city standard is outlined in your general plan, and it's to um, arrive at every instant within five minutes, 90% of the time. That's your one standard matrix standards uh, for the city. Currently, you don't, you don't meet that. There are some areas you do. A cooperative fire protection agreement would bring us very close to meeting that throughout the, the city. Now, remember, we did not, uh, this isn't a standards of cover, so um, take that with a grain of salt. Until there's some in-depth review, there may be portions of the city where that doesn't, that doesn't happen.
So breaking down emergency response, it, it, it's and in, in your proposal, you probably saw where Chief Hawks wrote has to do with timing and weighted response. And this is, the, is exactly the same as that. The availability of resources and the capability makes your operational effective. And the availability is, do you have enough fire engines to go to, to, to all the calls? And that's just in a base, easy example to understand. And once you get there, what's the capability of everyone to handle that incident? Right now you have two, six people, depending on the day, would show up. They would have to ask for help outside. If we're available, we'll provide it. We may not be available. And, and there's a delay in all that, that coming. So what I, this next slide here is what, what I'm trying to articulate here is the green is city, city jurisdiction. That is, you're obligated to provide fire protection within the city. The red is county, Cal Fire jurisdiction. We're, we're obligated there. With a cooperative fire protection agreement, and we could say that even though there's not an OA agreement, legally we're only required to provide services in the red, you provide services in the green. Through a cooperative fire protection agreement, we drop the boundaries, and it doesn't matter what agency it is, they wear the Cal Fire patch, they, pro they will provide service to, to the city. So if you look at that, uh, that, uh, the map on the right, that shows you the five-minute response times. Actually, it's the four-minute response times for, for all of the stations around the Oroville area that would potentially service the Oroville area. You can, you can start to see the overlapping areas and how that level of service and layered response starts to increase. These benefits that I'm, I'm outlining right here only grow as the city grows. As the city moves to the east or west, you will see that the yellow up there in the corner in the Thermolito area, should, should the city annex and, and grow out that direction, it becomes even more beneficial to be part of this cooperative fire to, uh, protection agreement where the city now can explore options with the county and cost sharing uh, resources out over there to provide service for the citizens within, um, within the city limits. And I, and I hope that makes sense to, mm -hmm. so some administrative benefits that we have. You no longer have an issue with retention within the city. You have potential isolation from pension liability. Workman's comps becomes our issue and no longer is it a city issue. And we have some options of consolidating resources with the county and cost saving between the county and the city in the future um, where both entities would benefit from, from, from that cost savings and still provide an accurate level of service. So one of, the, one of the big concerns is that current employees with Oroville Fire Department and what happens to them. And so when you transition to state service, this isn't anything new, it happens quite a bit within CAL FIRE. Every employee is, trans is blanketed into state service. They immediately are CAL FIRE employees at the day that the, the, the agreement goes into effect. There is some nuances with it and then the level or rank that they come over is determined between your city HR and CAL FIRE and state human resources. They will sit down, they will pull job duties, descriptions, classification, and pay, and what they do is they build a crosswalk. So you may have a fire captain um, with job duties of ABC, and as long as it meets the job duties of a CAL FIRE captain, they come across that level. Should there be a fire captain or an engineer or lieutenant whose job duty statement meets a lower rank, that's the rank that they would come over, come over as. And I can tell you, very rarely 
Um, it's, it's a little bit similar to law enforcement. Classification descriptions are fairly similar throughout the state when it comes to fire departments. A fire captain's a fire captain, an engineer is an engineer. So those groups will get together and they will determine what classification they, they come over. And, and pay scale. As long as they're within that pay scale, they will, they'll either retain their current salary or get a raise. Nobody reduces in their pay scale. Training records. There may be times where a, I'll use the fire captain as an example, is lacking some training that Cal Fire recognizes as the need to be a fire captain. They come over as a fire captain, we do a training needs assessment, and the employee may be required to go to additional training to meet the minimum training requirements of the state classification of a fire captain. That, that happens. They might have to go to a leadership class, a command and control class, something that we've deemed as, as appropriate for that classification. They're fully tenured and are permanent employees. None of them come over, come over as seasonal. So a captain comes over and he's fully tenured as a, as a captain with CAL FIRE immediately. And then typically what happens is between the current Oroville firefighters, labor organization, and the city, an MOU gets uh, generated between, we're out of this, this is between city firefighters and the city administration on the deposition of some things regarding Who's going to pay for the startup uniforms? Do we do some health care vesting for those that are coming over? What do we do with leave balances, excess leave balances? And that's an agreement between you and labor on how you address those. Some of those questions are hard to answer today because this, what needs to happen is a letter of intent goes out and then we can start, start spending time on addressing those, those issues. So again, currently the way the proposal is written, you have, take away the vacancies. You feel, if you do fill all your vacancies, you have 18 personnel assigned to the fire department. Our proposal has a minimum of 18 personnel. Every single person in Oroville Fire Department right now would have a position within either Oroville Fire Department or within the unit. And the only way I say within the unit is if you have a classification of a, a current employee that doesn't meet the classification of CAL FIRE, and let's say they, they are dropped down. I don't see that happening, but I can't guarantee that. If those classifications are already filled, that person would be offered employment or a position anywhere within Butte County. And, and then first rights were refused to come back to Orville when a position opened up. Very rarely does that happen, but you do have a lieutenant rank where depending on when they do the crosswalk transition, you may have more people who qualify for captains than positions that are, are proposed in the proposal. Those, those by seniority would stay, and those that come over as a captain um, would be offered vacant positions within Butte County. So something that's pretty important, we learned this from Paradise. Integration of the two operations is, I, I, can't, I can't express how important that is early on to make the transition extremely smooth. With that, there will be some employees from CAL FIRE and the current Oroville City Fire Department that will be on what we consider a training and development. We need to put CAL FIRE people into the city of Oroville, and we need to take some city Oroville firefighters initially and put them into other stations. We need to learn your way, and they need to learn our way. We consider it a, a training and development program, so we meet your needs, they meet our needs, so there will be initially if you employees, believe it or not, if you have vacancies, some may say, hey, I'd like to go work in North Chico. We'll make that accommodation on a temporary um, assignment so we can train each other. 
if that makes sense. And then we would reposition them, and it just makes things a lot easier when we're ad adjusting to culture, standard operating practices, and it's, it's much more beneficial to the employees. As soon as the employees are, are blanketed in, they're immediately available to transfer anywhere within the state or if they choose to, to any position. Um, and like I said, you saw up there, we have a fairly robust, robust system in the state that they now have the ability, should they want to go work in Southern California, they're, they're available Monday morning to put submit a transfer, go through that process and, and, and move to a, a location outside of Oroville or, or stay in Oroville. We will develop a unit transition team that composes of a couple chief officers, a few labor and, and administrative staff that will assist your staff and the firefighters at Oroville through the transition process. And should we, should you choose to move forward with that, that, that group would be established almost immediately and contacts for the next months um, would be established so we can answer questions and move the process forward. Department identity. City Council sets the level of service and direction. Your, the identity of the Oroville Fire Department will be the Oroville Fire Department. We will ask to have a, a patch of the CAL FIRE patch on apparatus and facilities only to signify the agreement that we have. But the, the, the really big change you'll, you'll see is the employees working at Oroville will wear a CAL FIRE uniform. There's a highly likelihood that most, most of them will stay there. You'll see the same faces wearing a different uniform. That is the largest change you will see as long as the obviously the, the level of service that you guys will start to see as as time goes on through the through the agreement and again what is important to us is that we provide a hometown fire department feel especially for those um, that are in our cooperative fire protection agreement and that's what the public expects agreement overview so you should have gotten a last minute amendment to adjust to address El Madeo Fire Protection District ceasing its operations. So I'll first go over the first one. This uh, service model on the left, not the alternative, provides for 18 people total, six people on duty a day, firefighters on duty a day, one captain, an engineer, and a firefighter. On two of your fire engines, a battalion chief 24-7 for emergency response, command and control, and daily operation of the fire department, and then you have a duty chief, and that duty chief is shared between um, the executive staff that I introduced that's, that isn't here today. That duty chief um, um, duties are shared amongst all of them, including the, the Oroville City division chief that's funded in the contract. If you look on the alternative side, you, you know, unfortunately with El Madeo ceasing operation, just over a month ago, it, it's, it's, it was, we were in a rapid, we were in a short time frame to try to address it. And so there's a lot of unknowns with Aramodale. It hasn't dissolved yet. You, 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 you may know more than I do. So it, it hasn't dissolved yet. They've just ceased operation. But there is a significant um, impact to Oroville City Fire Department because of the, the, the loss of that engine company over there. There's a call volume now that the city's uh, obligated to pick up. This proposal was to address that call volume, uh, and I'll go further into it. So you'd go to eight people a day, three apparatus responding, which would give that, if we go back a few slides, the availability portion that I was discussing, solve some of the availability portion of your resources. Service cost model. As you can see, the personnel costs are um, right around four million. 
fire department operating costs, and I'm not sure why that's out of format. And that is just the direct expenses of facilities, fuel, um, you know, equipment, that type of, uh, uh, of expenses are in that operating cost. There was an, uh, in the requ request for proposal for um, the option for a fire marshal, and there's the fire marshal cost plus a small amount of operating expense for the fire marshal. The alternative service model, as you can see, is quite a bit more expensive. That adds two more on a day and, and solves the El Madeo problem. But I don't have too much sticker shock because I, I do have a little bit of input to, to put on that as we move on. Something that's important about this, our, these rates are established as of right now. Should you put pen to paper right now, that's what it's gonna cost you to do it. As you all know, rates change. Rates change, they go down, they go, they go up. Next year, you'll, you, city administration is gonna be paying more for health benefits, retirement, for your employees. The same implications happen to state employees. So there, there is a fluctuation of cost when it comes to personnel. There also may be some one-time costs associated with transition. And what I mean by that is that transition team we develop will assess personal protective equipment. They'll take just a look at the apparatus and make sure there's no repairs that are needed to it. We operate uh, automatic vehicle locators and there's a small fee with that that helps us dispatch better. There are some small fees. I, I don't see anything significant, but there sometimes are some small fees bringing it up as a contract comes over. So not to exceed agreement. This is something that's important. This is how we bill. We budgeted at top step. And there's an example right there of an employee salary range. And that's just in general. I just said employee. We will budget at the top step, but the actual employee may be at the bottom step. We will only bill at the bottom step. So for this employee, just hypothetically say that's his salary range, we will budget for that 5580, but we can see that it's almost $1,000 less a month there would be a savings in that budget of $12,000 for that year, and you retain that savings. We only bill what we actually did, and it will not exceed the current contract. Administrative fee. Unfortunately, I have no control over the administrative fee. Like every um, local government department Chief, agency. before we move on, um, I would like you to make the point clear that <clears throat> this proposal was based on um, a full uh, uh, rate of pay, a full uh, schedule for all employees. This is the absolute worst case scenario of a price. That's what you gave. That is. That's, yes. that's so, let's just say service model two. Well, you would get a document that shows that amount. You would enter in a contract for that amount. Yes. When it's all said and done, and the, the next slide will show it, there is, there typically is what we call contract savings, and they vary. Um, they vary between 2 and 5% on, on top of that. Why they vary is overtime, pandemic hitting you, we have multiple employees out on long-term, workman's comp. So when, where you start to degrade the, co the savings that we make, get out of that is the work behind and overtime cost of people you know that are out long term and we just can't predict that mm -hmm. there may be maybe none there may be five employees and which would drive the overtime cost up it wouldn't supersede that contract amount but it what it does is it eats into those 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 savings, savings. 
Uh, Councilmember Riggs would like to speak. Can you turn your microphone on, please? Red light will go off. There you go. Great. Um, so just to note, this little thing doesn't work to turn the mic on. Uh, do you have, based on other contract cities similar to Paradise, an estimate of what the contracts actually come in at compared to the sticker price that you have here? So I, I would say Paradise, and remember, you, the, these, these numbers are estimate because it's really hard for us to predict it. Um, Paradise is a similar contract, and we, we save, if it's just so I won't talk percentage, I'll give you a number. We return anywhere from two to $400,000 a year to, to Paradise, and they're a similar, similar contract. Now, like I said, that, that gap fluctuates by how many people are out on long-term injury, how many FMLA, you know, we have a lot of employees in Paradise that had children this year, and they're out for 12 weeks taking care of their children, and there's an overtime cost. So that's what ends up um, reducing that amount. And what is the amount of their contract? They're right at four, right around four million. Mm -hmm. So 4. around 10 million could be up to 10 percent. Okay. Their staffing is is similar to the staffing here. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Pittman. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I want to ask this question because we're on this topic of administrative fee, and um, <laughs> my history is it goes all the way back to Ronnie Coleman. I remember he used to ask the question of former chief, where does the administrative fee go? And this is probably the best ex explanation of that I've ever seen in writing be, uh, from the past. So the administrative fee I see right now is 11.97, something like that, and the governor sets that, uh, as I read here. Would that fee be attached to the initial contract or would it be adjusted to the actual cost for that particular year it for that cost for that particular year okay it's in that 4.2 million right we, we take that 11.9 percent add that into it but if we only spend 3.9 million the administrative rate of 11.97 is applied against the 3.9 million yeah is Again, I appreciate that, and I also appreciate this explanation because it's the best explanation where the administrative fee goes that I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, and I know, I know for for me with other departments and county and the and the town of Paradise, when we talk, like I can't believe we've when general services, you know, or facilities need to do something, and they charge the department administrative fee, and some mm -hmm. some local government agencies call it different. It's no it's no different than what right. that happens between departments in in here. Right. Um, we don't have control over the rate at all. Cal Fire doesn't. It comes down from the top, and there's there's no control over it. it, it yeah. For us, it is what it is. Thank you. Appreciate that. Councilmember Goodson. Yes, thank you for this presentation. My question is similar to um, <clears throat> Councilwoman Riggs. Did the city of Marysville have a similar contract with Cal Fire, and was an in was it an increase in Cal Fire cost, the basis for them wanting to step out of that contract? Oh, I apologize. Um, so that was a unique situation. There was a lot of things going on. It was very dynamic. There was a cost increase, but what ended up happening is that the city wanted to reduce staffing levels to a point Cal Fire no longer wanted to provide services. And, and that goes for all of our cooperative fire protection agreements. There'll be a point um, where if you continue to reduce staffing levels, the state says, hey, we have to protect our employees. We no longer want to be in this agreement. So it was a, a, a combination of both. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 
there were some other dynamics that, that went along with it. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. We're ready to proceed. Mm -hmm. So back to the administrative fee. Um, I think we've discussed it. You guys are available. That's the 10-year average of the administrative fee. Mm -hmm. um, you can see it does fluctuate some years, close to a percent. Um, but it stays pretty consistent between 11 and 12 percent. So let's briefly talk about El Madeo. There's no way about it. There's no way to even discuss. It impacted the county and the city fire services. There's, there's just there's nothing more we can say than that. It, it has a a traumatic effect on our services within by taking that one engine out within the urban area of of Oroville. Oroville Fire Department's gonna suffer the ma majority of the impacts because the call volume within the district is mostly in the city limits. The agreement we have now between the fire department and the county fire department is, we'll use the city county boundary, city limit boundary, you will run your calls in the city limits and we will run ours, we'll do auto aid, and, and believe it or not, through auto aid, the city's gotta go a little bit further in the county jurisdiction. That's what we're doing currently to pick up the, uh, the call volume that was transferred to both, both agencies. But Oroville City definitely is taking on the majority of the burden of it. So the dissolution of the district is going to impact Oroville City more than it is the county. Regardless of what you do with it, mm -hmm. if the district dissolves and, and just goes away and we just go back to a city limit boundary, Oroville City will be impacted by the calls for service within that district. So one thing about the district, and these are, you remember, when I'm talking, I'm going to talk in generality because I don't want to speak on behalf of the city administrator or anybody, any other department head. There is a revenue being generated by the district, and it's estimated to be about 535000 There is some debt service within that district. Now I'm jumping my, uh, ahead of myself a little bit. But there is an opportunity, um, I believe, to retain that dist uh, the district funding and still provide the same level of service that the district residents were getting. Um, but at the end of the day, it's gonna cost money on somebody to do it because the district doesn't generate enough revenue to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. um, the good thing is, is when we get back to the, the proposal, there is opportunity to cost share with the county, but regardless, there'll be an operational and fiscal impact, and I'll explain that. So remember, the district closed December 25th, um, it definitely impacted this proposal. We wouldn't even be talking about it if the district was still functioning. This impacted our proposal. We did, we did have some concern on whether or not we could provide the service you wanted with the increased call volume and without additional resources. Um, this is a solution that our department came up with, and I'm just going to briefly talk about it, and Mr. Legrone can interrupt and say you're, you're outstepping your bounds. But in order to keep the revenue of the district, we need to provide an equal level of service. And the only way we can do that, in my opinion, is to have a fire engine sitting at station three. To operate out of station one, I believe you're not providing the same level of service because of the response times. Mm -hmm. um, in order to keep the district fee coming, we need to provide the same level of service. And I think, uh, Steve Lucas, and I know he's on this call, I saw it, would have some input on that. So don't take my word as the gospel. There's a lot of outside discussion that needs to happen. But it, 
But this proposal right here, what it does is it adds a two-person EMS rescue squad. And if you look at the call volume within Oroville City, 85% are medical aids, and that is a standard throughout the United States. So you need, you're, where you're having problems meeting response times and the availability is on 85% of the calls are medical aids. A medical aid doesn't need a three-person type one engine company every time. A fire does, a car wreck does, um, a, a, a commercial structure fire does. A type, a two-person squad can offset that 85% of those call volumes. And it does it a little more economically than paying for a full fire engine. You could put a full fire engine at El Madeo, retain the district. It'd be an Oroville City fire, fire engine. It would be green, wear the patch. And you could assume the district, and I won't, not familiar on exactly how that works, and I don't want to speak on behalf of you know, your city administrator. And you could retain that revenue, which offset the cost of that two-person squad. That Type 1 fire engine at um, El Madeo Station 3, if we were in an agreement, we were all sharing the same patch, we would explore options of splitting the remaining cost of that engine with the county. And that engine then would become a regional response engine. It serviced the city, it serviced portions of the county, but it would reduce the cost of providing those services. Should you choose, hey, we're just staying out of Oroville Station 1 and we don't, it's, it's too expensive, um, you're going to be responding to those calls regardless and those costs are going to be, you're going to bear the, the, the response of the cost of, of responding about 1,500 times to the, to the district. Chief, I'd like to uh, <clears throat> make the point that uh, that area, the Elmadeo district, is uh, uh, predominantly poverty stricken. So the the medical response is crucial to this district and it, and its um, uh, residents because this might be the only medical attention that they get for uh, the issues that they're suffering with. Uh, a lot of people. Call 911 when they have a problem. They don't, they don't have the means or the option to go to the hospital. So the engine and the staff in that station are crucial. And I appreciate you creating an avenue to make that happen. And I'll explain it just a little more because I, I want to make sure um, I had sticker shock when I saw that. So if you look at that $5.2 million, you can assume should you move forward with the district and assuming the responsibility of it. It wouldn't happen until fiscal year 22, when it would allow the district to pay off its debt. So if, if, this, if the city assumed it and retained that revenue of 500, and, let's just say 535,000, you could take that off the 5.2 million. Then, then we would reach out to the county and say, are you willing to share some staffing? And if they were to add two people into that three-person engine company, you could reduce that cost by another 400,000. So the cost of that type six squad excuse me, that, that the cost of that EMS rescue squad almost goes away and it improves the level of service for the surrounding area. Though that's, this is a concept, if that makes sense. Yes, sir, thank you. Councilmember Pittman wishes to speak. Yeah. Chief, I appreciate the suggestion. I might ask, um, and it's, I think it's a, a great suggestion in terms of uh, service provision for that particular area. Uh, yeah, does your agency have any, um, experiences with that type of vehicle in the EMS delivery of service? So we are not doing it. We've explored it. We are not doing it 
currently in this unit. Other units are doing it, and they're having great success with it. Um, we're doing it on a temporary basis. When we get drawdown, our employees get on, and there's an example of the, the EMS squad. In this case, this one's got water and a pump on it. Okay. Um, I didn't want to call it a Type 6 engine because it confuses people with, oh, it's just another fire engine. So this one is a multi-tasked engine. Our employees love getting on them and staffing it when we're at drawdown, and we find ourselves wondering if we need to start looking at yeah. service model changes right. um, ourselves. Orville's a little unique. You now have, the, the issue is the pump capacity, water capacity, hose capacity, ladder, master streams. If this was running by itself, you would lose those capacities. It's best served joining up with another mm -hmm. apparatus and taking the call volume off of that apparatus to those less technical calls. If that and frees up your mm -hmm. truck and your type one fire engine mm -hmm. to go to the more technical calls that require more people, more, uh, more equipment. Does that make some sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I think it for efficiency and effectiveness of the fire service across the board, we've got to start looking at those type of vehicles for, as you mentioned, the 85% of calls needs to be matched to what we're delivering. And I Ab agree with absolutely. you entirely. Yeah. And, and great, great idea. And in the end of the day, these apparatus are quite a bit smaller. And what it does do is it, it, it sets you up for expansion as the city grows and you build a new fire station and determine it needs a Type 1 engine. The staffing's almost there. You only need to add a little bit into it. Right. Thank you. So what's next? So the city issues, should they, you guys make a decision, you know, today or in the future? The city issues a letter of intent to Cal Fire. Um, the city notifies LAFCO. And under Senate Bill 239, there are some requirements that go through through LAFCO. And once it meets the LAFCO process and we get approval from LAFCO, CAL FIRE starts its internal process. And that's the process of HR, your HR, city staff, CAL FIRE staff starting to coordinate together on what that transition looks like. Once it's all ironed out, it, we, we produce an executable agreement that details the, the, all the stipulations and that we believe could happen no later than the fiscal year start of the fiscal year 2022. Um, if if there's something that the council was looking to happen sooner, we we may be able to look into something as soon as January 1st of this coming year. Would it be acceptable with everyone to take a five minute break? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Appreciate the break. Uh, ready to proceed. And I'm, I'm winding down with my presentation. So I, I put this slide in there. I called it facts and fictions. And I think it's important to go over a few things because I know this can be a controversial issue amongst the public, maybe some government officials. And there's a lot of misinformation sometimes that gets put out there to push a specific uh, direction. So, I, I, and I'd like to, after I do this, and if you guys have questions on what you may have heard, um, and we can answer those and clarify them. So the first one is CAL FIRE has its own equipment replacement cycle, only on the state side. We follow the local government agency's replacement cycle for apparatus, whatever that is. If there isn't one, we will develop one for them. For an example, in the county, we have fire engines that are 20 years old, the 290,000 miles on them, we're still operating them. As much as I'd like to say that every four years we turn them over, we don't because there's a fiscal responsibility and accountability of making sure um, we're buying equipment on an appropriate time, time frame. Employees are held on duty. That's fact. Um, we don't necessarily like it, but if you guys know what's happened over the last few years, when there's an emergency within this county, the expectation of employees is that they will rise to the occasion and they will provide a service to the public until that emergency is gone. And this last few years, frankly, it's been pretty busy and the summers have been long. We don't like our employees being forced on any more than they have to, but at the end of the day, when we have an emergency, we expect employees to come into work and participate and help mitigating that emergencies. City fire engines are sent out of the area, leaving the city uncovered. That's a fact and fiction. Fact is, we do send them out of the area, no more than what they're doing right now. They're part of the statewide master mutual aid program. Um, and they'll go out no more than what they do this year, last year, the next year. Should they go out, we will not leave the city uncovered. Part of our proposal is, Orville City Station 1 is a must cover. Should multiple engines, the two engines leave there, we immediately cover behind with cooperative fire protection resources, county, state, apparatus, backfill the hole. So there will never be a time when Oroville is unstaffed. There may be a short period where we're moving apparatus in because the engines are committed to something, but they won't, they will not send both engines or three to Southern California and leave the city unstaffed. Cal Fire employees are not local. That is a fact and fiction. So I would imagine in city government here, you probably have some people that don't live in the area. I mean, I, we have 340 employees. Some work out of the area. 86% of the employees within our cooperative fire protection unit live in this unit. Mm -hmm. We have 17 chief officers. 15 of them have grown up in Butte County and have worked here their entire career. One's worked here his entire career and commutes from Grass Valley. We are Butte County. We aren't a large government agency that um, just transitions people through and there's no ownership into the, the local community. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Now at our lower ranks, the entry level ranks, there's a little more turnover because there's a little more promotion opportunity. But I think that goes along with every type of department when people are trying to figure out where they're gonna be in their life and entry level positions, there's, there's a higher turnover rate. But Oroville City, I think if I've spoke with Chris Tins, you're about 18% of your employees within the fire department live outside the area. We're about 19% uh, live outside the area. 
Cal Fire raises its cost after agreement is signed. False. Are there cost increases? Absolutely, yes. There is, we do not have control over personnel costs. Every year, benefit rates go up. There could be bargaining unit uh, increases through pay, which when they go up, we are told, here's the rate for a firefighter from Sacramento. The unit has no control over that. Um, the only thing we have control over is the operating budget, which you saw the smaller operating budget, and the amount <coughs> of employees we have in the contract. So as costs go up, typically what happens is can't afford it, reduce the number of people on the contract, and then we would begin that process of reducing it. Remember, reducing the level of people in the contract reduces the level of service. There will be a point in all of our Schedule A agreements or cooperative agreements where we'll hit a threshold where Cal Fire no longer wants to participate in an agreement because we feel it's unsafe to have our employees potentially on a piece of apparatus, for example, if the city said we only want one person on every fire engine, that's it. We would say, we're not the right agency for you to provide fire protection. That's similar to what happened in Marysville along with some other things. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so with that, our commitment. I, I can tell you as the fire chief, we're, we're committed to providing competent, effective, and cost-efficient cost fire service. We, we put a lot of time and effort into our employees and leadership and training and developing them so they can function you know, in the unit at a high level and provide you know, that type of service planning, management, leadership to the new employees. Um, that's extremely, extremely important. Very important to me is maintaining a community-involved fire department. And at the end of the day, I, I, I think uh, there are companies that do this, but um, we will provide a strategic plan, a standards of cover for the city to help address the future growth and the current growth that's going on and where we need to expand, retract, and grow as a fire department. Chief uh, Councilmember Pittman wishes to speak. I don't want to interrupt your presentation, but the, you did uh, mention the out-of-county activity, and I just want to, uh, someone asked me this, and I don't know the answer, when we, the city, would send units out of county, uh, the OES reimbursement rate would come back to the city for personnel and then equipment uh, expenses. How would that happen with Cal Fire as their state employees? Would the same amounts come back to the city, or how does that work out? Absolutely. The personnel rates don't, but the equipment rates do. Okay. So the personnel rates are already being, the overtime and all that is being absorbed by the state. The city does not absorb city-funded employees' overtime when they're on a state incident. The state picks that up. So the reimbursement rate of the apparatus is the same. Mm -hmm. And if I can just tell you right now, it's about $2,000 a day for a Type 1 fire engine. If it's gone, you know, 10 days, you can expect to see $20,000 returned to the, for the cost of fuel, mm -hmm. uh, wear and tear. Um, I can tell you for Paradise, a similar one, we use a lot of their equipment outside. So Oroville City has a Type 3 fire engine. We may grab a couple guys on it or some guys from other stations, firefighters, put it on it and go cover a station in Berry Creek. Mm -hmm. We will pay the city of Oroville for covering that fire station for the use of its apparatus. We generated over $300,000 last year for the town of Paradise in equipment rental, mm -hmm. if uh, for lack of a better term. Now, remember, uh, fire season dictates on reimbursement and how much comes in. When it's a slow year, there's no reimbursement because we're not, we're not going to fires. Right. So any fire that is state or federal responsibility and we put a local government fire engine on, 
we are reimbursed at the OES rate for that apparatus. And that's the old 09 fund. It's the old 09 fund. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. I had one more question when you talk about um, personnel and uh, what's the status of volunteer and or reserve programs for the county and or uh, agencies as a whole for what's your experience going on with that? Unfortunately, uh, volunteering in the United States is diminishing on all, all uh, levels, regardless of the job. We have 151 volunteers currently spread out through the county um, under Butte County and Town of Paradise. Um, you know, the requirements to be a volunteer firefighter continue to increase liability reasons between medicals, training that they need to have, and, and many of those that just don't have time to participate at that level. So the numbers are dwindling, mm -hmm. but we still have an effective volunteer force to provide a fantastic service, delivering water tenders, some personnel power on incidents, but it's not like what you were used to back yeah. in the day. Um, it's hard. What ends up happening is we spend, we have a very robust volunteer training program. They come out almost equivalent to career firefighters out of our open shot training grounds. They go through live fire, extrication, rescue. Um, we seem to keep them for about two years and they start to fall off because it's just, it's time consuming to meet all the requirements. Uh, uh, the other question I have about a retired annuit program, is that still where you have retirees from Cal Fire that can come back on a temporary basis, or has PERS limited that? PERS limits it per hour, and we typically only bring them back in management positions. So mm -hmm. usually yeah. never will you see a retired annuitant on a fire engine. Mm -hmm. It'll be in a management position, gotcha. maybe doing a special project for the unit, mm -hmm. and that would be a state-funded, not a Oroville city-funded. Gotcha. It would be a state-funded. Are they limited to the 960 hours? Yeah. Exactly. Chief um, Messina, if I could just ask one question to, yes. on the um, volunteer to circle back on that. If we were to uh, enter into this contract, hypothetically, is that something we could expect to see in the Orville Fire Department as well as the El Madeo Firehouse? That we would have a volunteer program in those and make uh, our citizens could be participating in that? Absolutely. And we would incorporate them into our total volunteer program and they would still be Orville City volunteers mm -hmm. operating from their home and they would cover the jurisdiction of Orville City but what we do too is we treat that a little bit like cooperative fire is companies can respond to Kelly Ridge so the Kelly Ridge we call them company 74 or excuse me 64 a lot of times on structure fires we'll ask for two volunteer companies for reinforcement we'll do that the same where Orville volunteer company one would go out to the county area on a structure fire to assist and vice versa. So we, we, we drop those boundaries with our volunteers just like we do with our career staff. It, it's, it really is a false multiplier and it makes sense. But, but yes, we will develop that volunteer program as long as there's interest and, and provide that. There's obviously a cost associated with that and that's personal protective gear, training. Um, the good thing is, is a lot of that gets absorbed by our current program Maybe not the equipment, but the training portion of it. We already have a group of cadre that trains our volunteers. They would fall right into that. Thank you, Chief. Councilmember Smith wishes to speak. Can you turn your microphone on, please? Yeah. I appreciate the presentation. It's been very informative and uh, I think very thorough uh, up to this point. Um, 
just listening to the constituents and some of the concerns being raised, um, the, probably the two largest is culture and history, you know, within the department, which I'm sure you're, you know, probably know it better than I do, uh, being that you're a local person. Um, but the the ability of uh, the fire chief or the, the, the now person to now become a Cal Fire employee, and so maintaining and, and you kind of spoke to this already, but I just maybe just hear a little bit more on it and just being aware of which you probably are uh, the concern within the community that the culture, the the small town feel, in all of those dynamics. And then, you know, it, it's all usually about staffing and that, that person, you know, the person, the, the chief, the head sets the tone. And so the, just maybe speaking to the latitude or ability of in that transitionary process, absorbing the culture of Oroville and, and being able to exemplify or emanate that, uh, what kind of freedom does that uh, chief or the heads that now would, uh, if this were to happen, would they be able to, um, you know, exemplify that for, for a local, you know, the local feel? Absolutely. That's kind of a hard one to quantify. No, no, but <clears throat> it's, a, it's a good question. So 1856 is when the fire company was formed. And we recognize that's a long tradition. It was the second one in California. And there's no intention to ever erasing history. And the good thing is, is you can't really erase it. So uh, history is, is just that. It, it'll never go away. This is just a, should you move forward, a chapter in the fire department history. Um, so that's, that's my response to that. As far as culture, absolutely. I can tell you every, the fire department as a whole has a culture. Every fire department has its own culture. Every battalion has its culture. And then you get down to the station level, they all have their individual cultures. Gridley Fire Department, those guys are Cal Fire. They have their own culture. And, they, and it's from what they do on Christmas Day, how they train, you know, how they operate during the day. We, they, that, that opportunity would still be the same. Mm -hmm. But people need to understand, too, is there is a Cal Fire culture that would be um, integrated into that. So there would be a change to a certain extent of culture because that's just how it happens. It'd be no different than Butte County Public Works taking over Orville City Public Works or providing that services. There would be a culture shift to a certain extent. Um, to what level it is, that depends on the, the people at the station level and the direct supervision of the division chief pretty, pretty much sets that, that tone for the station. Thank you. Does that answer I, your question? It, it does. That's very helpful. I appreciate that. And that, that's refreshing to, to think that the local, that, that, that opportunity to set the culture, it's not all about some state mandated, this is what, you know, cookie cutter scenario and, and, and that's helpful. Uh, the other piece is a little bit more technical, you know, just looking at, I have known nothing about fires other than I put water on and it usually goes out, thank God. Um, but that being said, uh, and I've always been a little concerned about, we have three, you know, basically a five mile circumference. We have three, you know, El Madeo, Oroville, Cal Fire, you know, and just so now it, if it all goes under one roof, uh, command structure, you know, one voice calling out the calls, it, w it seems logical to me that that would help streamline uh, uh, service. It would be an enhancement overall, um, j just just from a logical standpoint. Um, so maybe, uh, what do you see as an enhancement to overall response time to the average citizen? I'm on the street, you know, I have an incident. You know, is, is there seconds? Is it minutes? You know, overall, because that command that structure has changed, and so right down to the you know nit and grit, I'm 
you know, help, I've fallen and I can't get up and I need someone, you know, what do you see in, in that respect as to, you know, actual response times? And then um, to another longer term issue uh, with uh, the urban wildland interface, you know, Orville, we have a, quite a bit of that here. And that I think is to everyone's concern. Uh, if, with you, uh, st if this were to happen, would there be more of a proactive program or uh, thoughts going forward to help? You know, I think about insurance rates, coverage, and there's a lot of stuff going on here with fire service in our state and, uh, you know, a lot of challenges. But uh, does CAL FIRE have a, a, a program where that's addressed or more mitigation type uh, efforts go on to help? you know, harden the city. Because that, that's a personal concern that, you know, when we look at what happened with Paradise and, uh, and other communities, um, Redwood or um, up to the North Santa Rosa area, for an example, where you have these, these you know, interfaces between wildland areas and then, of course, urban. And so just, you know, kind of moving forward, what, what kinds of programs or thoughts would be given to that and how would that be beneficial, this, this opportunity that you're presenting today, beneficial to de uh, addressing those concerns? So uh, there's a few questions. I'll try to I'll try to get them get them. So absolutely, there's something what's called the command principles. And anybody that's been in the fire service or um, law enforcement or the military knows what the command principles are. One of them is unity of command. You answer to one person because when you answer to one person, there's not more than one direction given given out. Then there's a span of control and and that type of stuff that makes things more efficient. So when we talk about the command structure. We do things one way the entire county. And I don't mean that when we talk about culture, I'm talking about how we pull hose, how we pump water, how we fight a fire, it, it, whether it's wildland, structure fire. And what it does is it creates uniformity where people know exactly what to do. When you have multiple departments working together, you can only train so much, but if they aren't the same department, I don't really do it that way. And as you can see, we still get through it, but it's not as, as smooth and we're definitely not as effective. Plus, now you, uh, with Oroville, you have access to a robust system of experienced chief, we have 17 chief officers um, that could help assist the chief officers in Oroville with their experience, command and control. So yeah, I would say for your command on incidents, makes things extremely streamlined and the outcomes are much more successful. Response times. Um, I'll, I'll, let's go back to dispatching. Right now, when Orville, and Orville has, they dispatch a medical aid, when their engines are committed and they want one of our engines to help, PD takes the call, has to transfer the call to Orville. Orville has to dispatch it. So if it's a structure fire and they say, hey, I want five more engines, PD, they have to continue to transfer the call. In the case of us dispatching, the transfer call gets only once, the first initial one. Every subsequent ask for resource goes directly to the dispatch center and we direct dispatch them which can save minutes and I'll, I'll give you an example when I talked about automated uh, vehicle locators it's it's a transponder that sends your location and our, our computer system picks it up and sends the closest resource to them nothing new old technology but now with the El Madeo issue we're finding that the transfer time of the 911 call or additional resource call takes longer than it does for us just to direct dispatch our own. Seems Oroville should be closer, but they're not because the, the delay in transferring the calls uh, is longer than what it would be for those guys to drive.
because of our system picks it up and says, geographically they're closer, but because of all the delays through processing calls and, and reaching out to the appropriate resource, you could just send them and they'll beat them. So it would improve uh, response times. And like I said, when the city gets committed, every engine is committed or apparatus, um, we backfill the city and provide coverage through the city that way versus mutual aid requests where I'll, I'll be honest with you, the city gets committed, we're not obligated to cover station one. If there's an incident, the engine may come through mutual aid from Richvale or Kelly Ridge, where we'll be proactive and place apparatus um, strategically in the city after an incident goes out. So CAL FIRE programs. City Council sets the level of service for prevention. So if the direction is, and we have the capacity to do it as the fire department, you want to implement a program like that, our personnel will develop it. There may or may not be a cost associated with it, and we'll, and we'll implement it. Uh, but I will tell you, we do have the expertise when we talk about economies of scale and combining resources. We have foresters. We have vegetation management personnel where we can lean on them to help us provide um, assistance in developing some of these programs. We're very, very tightly knit with the Fire Safe Councils right now. And the Fire Safe Council is doing a lot of the legwork when it comes to home hardening, fuel reduction. Um, and that would, easy, would be very easy for us to bring right into the fold with Oroville City and, and have them um, wrap their arms around that. And I will tell you, you did recognize the eastern portion of the city, it isn't like Chico City. Chico's a little more urbanized. The Oroville City is spread out. There's a significant wildland threat on the eastern side and, frankly, on the southern side. And, you know, what we, what we have saw over the years is what didn't used to happen, fire carrying through towns and cities at will. You know, I, I don't know, and I'm not standing up here to do fear factor, but it is in a, an urban area like San Francisco where the wildland threat is diminished. You do have a, dis uh, a significant wildland threat with, within portions of the city. Hope that answered your yeah, question. Thank you. I appreciate that. Councilmember Riggs. Thank you. I have a few questions. Um, the first, I want to make sure that I have this right. In your presentation earlier, you talked about our staff being guaranteed employment with CAL FIRE, but there is the opportunity or there is the possibility that they'd be relocated. And I believe that you said that would be restrained to Butte County unless they sought opportunity elsewhere. So is that accurate? Ab absolutely. And so right now, the way that the proposal's set up, should everybody, when they go through that transition process, that crosswalk, meet the requirements of that position, will come right into that position. Um, they would stay in that position in Oroville City. Like I said, we would do a training development where we may say, Fire Captain A, go spend some time over at this station. You'll come back after a while, learn, learn how we're doing it, so we can put a Fire Captain B in Oroville to learn how Oroville's doing it. So there will be some of that. And don't confuse that. It doesn't mean they lose their position. I just wanted to be upfront. If there was a rare occasion where an employee didn't fit into a position for whatever reason, they would be offered a position within a neighboring station. And then once that position opened back up in the city of Oroville, they would have first rights of refusal to go back. I don't see that happening. I just because the way that what has happened in the past is in some contracts, staffing was 20. They only wanted 12. You had eight people over. Those eight people had to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And those eight people got displaced through units. And, and I'm not talking in this unit, other units. Um, in this case, you have 18 people or positions. We're recommending 18 or the additional five for 23, which means there's room for everybody to, to settle into their current location. 
Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And then I have a few others. Um, what is your guys' turnover rate? I know that one of the benefits we have with our local fire department is the localized knowledge of our unique building structures, downtown areas. So what's your guys' turnover rate to ensure that we're not losing that localized knowledge? So like I said, when you, when you start off at the chief officer level, mm -hmm. every one of our chief officers spent their most entire career within the unit. And you get down to the captain level, and I know we have captains that spend five, seven, 10, 15 years at one station. Engineers, it gets a little bit lower. And at the, the lowest level, the firefighter, there's promotional opportunity because we have more positions. Mm -hmm. So they spend three, four years as a firefighter and like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to promote. They'll compete for a job at the, the similar location that they're working at. But if it isn't, they may choose to say, well, I'm gonna go to the Kelly Ridge station. And then a new employee comes in. So there is some turnover. I don't think it's any more than what you're seeing on a percentage right now. Um, I bet if you talk to Chief Deal and Chief um, Tins, they would tell you the entry-level firefighter position, they come in for one or two years, and then they, then, they, then they move on, or they stay in it. It'd be the similar situation for us. Okay. Thank you. And then one last question. Uh, on page 24 of your proposal, it talks about Cal Fire enters into um, – grant pools applying for grants. So I was just wondering, on behalf of the city, I was just wondering what the success rate is on those um, and what kind of funding we could expect or hope for under those grant opportunities. That's a, a fantastic question. And I, I think I'll speak on behalf of everyone that puts in for grants or double-edged sword because they're very time-consuming to manage. Mm -hmm. In the last three years, we've received almost $6.5 million for Paradise in the county for equipment and personnel. Um, through our grant writing process. Um, so there's those opportunities to do it. And we're very successful of it. And, and one thing that's um, fortunate about Oroville City, grants are typically um, awarded more to smaller fire departments. Mm -hmm. And so when we put in for a grant, we would put it in the Oroville Fire Department, not Cal Fire. We would we're just happen to be a provider of the fire service. So if there was a staffing, fire engine, a program would be on behalf of the Oroville Fire Department. We would submit it. Oroville Fire or Oroville City would receive the funds that Cal Fire wouldn't. It'd go right into the coffers and we would distribute it out to the fire department, you know, whatever, depending on how or what the, the grant, um, what the grant was. We're very successful on equipment right now. Uh, personal protective uh, gear, radios. We upgrade necessary equipment so it's not coming out of the operating budget. And that, that, that's a savings all the way around. We just can't guarantee on grants. Yeah, of course. Um, and then this is going to be my last one for right now. No guarantees that it won't be more questions later. You mentioned replacement of engines or other apparatuses. In the, on the state side, you guys have a policy of how long was it? So on the state side, it's completely different than the local government side. Right. And so we have a state policy that we do not uh, put those requirements on the local government. Mm -hmm. So we would work with the city administration and say, What's the replacement cycle for a fire engine? If they have one, we'll stick with it. If they don't, we'll help them develop one and we'll, we'll agree and that would be the replacement cycle. I can tell you right now the type one engines we're replacing anywhere from 15 to 18 years. Okay. And um, you know, there's a, depending on the mileage that's on them, you know, we'll run them 200,000 plus miles. We get full use out of them. And this, this isn't anything that springs up to um, city administration of we need to buy one tomorrow. It is you know, three years out at this fiscal year, we need we need to start planning on per, uh, replacing a fire engine. And we, we build that into the budgets. As, as uh, 
Council Member Pittman said, some of those uh, revenues that are generated for rentals, mm -hmm. um, it turns into general fund revenue, but we would say, hey, let's put some of that towards an equipment replacement program. Um, so we, we, were, we, we work with the, the local government agency right. on that cycle. Okay. Thank you. No different than what you're doing now. Thank you. Council Member Hatley. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, thanks for coming today and putting on this presentation. Appreciate it. Um, I have several questions for you that, that come to mind. And um, the first thing is, uh, if CAL FIRE takes over, then the, um, they become CAL FIRE employees. Okay? And so they fall within the system. Now, technically, they're your employees. And I know how the state works on a lot of things. And if tomorrow you decide that you need them in L.A., they're going to go to L.A. because they're your employees, and we're not going to be able to tell you no as long as you replace them with somebody. So, you know, that's, that's one concern of mine. The other is on the vacant positions. If there's nothing, uh, let's say we have a fire captain, we'll just use that, and he can't be a captain. He's got to go to a lieutenant or whatever, and there's nothing in Butte County. Then he's going to have to, you're going to try and find him a spot somewhere else within the state. Uh, and so that means moving, of course. Um, and the other thing I, I have is as far as uh, bumping rights. If, if you take over this, this department, and so if you have somebody in, I'll just keep using L.A. because it's easy to say. Uh, L.A., and they want to come to up north. They're, they've got 15 years or 18 years or whatever the number is, and they say, you know what, I like to hunt and fish, and I'm tired of down here. I want to be up in God's country. And so what's the bumping rights? I, I'm curious about bumping rights. If they come in and go, hey, I'm a, I'm a captain or whatever, and I have a whole lot more time, and my time at Cal Fire <clears throat> is – who I work for, even though you work for Cal Fire, are you coming in with 15 years? If, if one of our guys has 15 years <coughs> with me. Orville, mm -hmm. is he going to carry 15 years uh, in that bumping station when he comes to Cal Fire? Um, do, do you want to respond to those because I still have some more, or do you want to just let's go with those? Because I don't, I'll forget. I got a short memory. <laughs> okay, and then, then I'll then I'll, I'll ask oh, those three. Sure. Go ahead. So the apparatus, they wouldn't go out of, out of uh, to Southern California any more than they're doing now. They're doing that currently right now. Um, we're the operating coordinator. I'll call Chris Tins and say, "Hey, Chief, they want to send an engine to Southern California." He he calls them up. He sends them, and he backfills behind them. Nothing would change on that. Um, and we, we are obligated to provide fire service for the city of Oroville. It's what goes first? Our state assets go first. We will send all of our state assets. Should the OES system ask for a local government, state assets, uh, type three state-funded assets will always go first. Should OES, <coughs> excuse me, ask for local government assistance, then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss as fire chiefs whether or not we can send one engine and, and provide backfill behind it. No different than really what's happening now. Okay, I, I think maybe you misunderstood my question. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear maybe. Um, I'm talking about the employees. I'm not talking about the engines or anything else. I'm talking about employees. If you decide, if, 
and that's where the bumping comes in. If, if, and you say, well, you know, you guys are my employees, and here's what we're going to do because this guy has with <coughs> us. He's been with us since day one. You just came on with us. And so we're going to – that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going to special events or any of that. I think I'm I was probably about, commenting on your first comment. Yeah. So no vacancy. Because we have such a 12, 18-month long period, what we'll do is we will know at what classification employees will come over. If there is a, a overage, we will hold positions open in the local stations. You know, we will say, hey, we're going to leave those four positions open because we know we have to take four people into them. So they will not get displaced out of the unit. Um, transition bumping rights. So first, seniority would come over with them. So if they spent 20 years in Oroville City, 20 years is what their seniority would be day one within CAL FIRE. So if you have a 21-year captain wants to come to Butte County and work in the unit, they got to wait for a position to open up. Typically what we do is a position opens up in any of our stations. We fill it internally first, and the trickle-down effect is if anybody wants to come, they've got to go to Feather Falls. And the, the captain says, okay, I'll go to Feather Falls. He trans, tr transfers from Southern California, most likely will end up in a remote station. He'll spend five, six years in the unit. And the more desirable locations, he has to wait his turn and learn the system before he, before he enter, enters it. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. and, and one thing with that, do you do like uh, some other state um, – agencies do and I'm talking law enforcement now but um, where uh, when they come in they do a testing if, if you're gonna test for captain or you're gonna test for do you do under the they call them reachable they come in tiers and wherever you fall into that testing procedure if you get a 70 you'd be in tier four say so is that the way you guys do that too? For new, as, are you talking for new hire promotional hires? Or promotional and, and new hire type of thing. Is that the way you do it? Yeah, there's a, a testing process and a score is established. Mm -hmm. And then you know, it, it, our, our hiring procedures are fairly uh, complicated. Depending on the rank, there's a different hiring procedure for each rank. For specifically right. captain. Luckily, after an a eligibility list is established, we have a little more control over who we hire locally. Mm -hmm. um, and we establish an internal list either through resume reviews, qualification assessments, or interviews. We'll establish an internal list off a statewide list of who we can hire in the unit. Typically, those that work in this unit currently score much better than those that are trying to promote into this unit um, mm -hmm. because of how we, we, we uh, proceed with our selection process. Okay. So I can't tell you that would an engineer ready to promote to captain at uh, station one? Would that happen? It might. Could he get could he get beat out by somebody who works in Tehama unit? That could happen. Typically, it doesn't. Okay. Um, the next question I have is is as far as I know that uh, uh, Cal Fire yeah. operates under three percent at fifty for retirement. Okay, and our fire department doesn't. So when you take them in. If they go in at that, or will they come in at something else, or is that? And and if they do, let's just say they come in at three percent, because they're now Cal Fire employees. Who picks up that additional cost for that, for that um, uh, increase in in retirement? Would that be the city, or would the state say, no, we're we're picking it up? Mm -hmm. 
so I'm I'm not sure if I can answer that correctly, and just because I, everybody's retirement um, situation is different. Cal Fire's CalPERS, I'm assuming Oroville City's CalPERS, they would come over at their current rate that they were in now. So if they are 2.75 at 57, that's exactly what they come over. We, we uh, the 3.3% of 50 is gone. You would have to have been grandfathered in. So anybody new employee, will they'll transition over at their current rate that they are right now. And I think that is, that's, uh, has nothing to do with Cal Fire or Oroville. That's just a CalPERS system. Right. There's no change in it. As soon as they transfer, transfer over, the state's responsible for the pension liabilities. It's no longer the responsibility of Orville. Okay. Now, that, that's fine. Thank you. I uh, hope that answered your question. Yeah, you did. Uh, the last thing that I have for you is this. Uh, you were talking about um, the other engine or whatever you're calling it uh, uh, that would be at Elmadale. It looks like a one-ton truck to me. But uh, anyway... We get a lot of calls to uh, rest homes and, and assisted living and that kind of thing that, and they need, what they want is, the, is the, the manpower to pick a patient up, put them back in a bed. And we get a lot of those calls. And, and so is that, I kind of took from what you said in your presentation, that's kind of what that would be more of a, that kind of a unit response rather than right now our engines are rolling out and sometimes the truck has to go. I mean, it just, depending on how- Very inefficient. So if, if that's true, then did you just diminish your response time um, from Elmadale? If that is out here picking somebody up off the floor and compared to what we have now? So that, that was just a question for you. I, you and you know, those are fantastic points. My proposal would be to move one of your type one fire engines would go to Elmadeo. The smaller response apparatus would coincide with at station one with the other engine to take, that's where the workload's out to take that, that, that burden off. Um, you're right, there, there are a lot of people that abuse the 911 system. Something that we do offer is EMD, which is um, emergency medical dispatching, where we can prioritize the call type and send the appropriate resource for that call type. And something we can add on to that is too, is we, when we prioritize those, we can get to the point where we're not gonna go to those calls because they're not emergencies. And we do that through a screening, a, a screening process in the dispatch center that our dispatchers are trained to do through a nationally recognized uh, process of screening the caller, what it is, and you'll get to a point where it says, that is a non-life-threatening, non-emergency, that's gonna, we're not going to that. Um, Chico City has gone to that to reduce their call volume. And you guys would set that level. Um, there are classifications. So for example, I, I tore my fingernail off. Should that get a code three fire engine to it? Um, mom probably thinks so. Um, but, and I'm using that as a rough example. There, there we can explore within certain areas of the city of these, these non-emergency, non-life-threatening calls we're not responding to, and the ambulance can go, transports, we're not coming to help pick you up. Um, that's something we can explore. Mm -hmm. okay. Vice Mayor Thompson. Thank you, Mayor. Appreciate your presentation here, Chief Messina. 
Um, as you know, with Oroville, we have a lot of history here. From memory serves me right, we have the second oldest fire department in the state mm -hmm. of California. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of history that goes back and a lot of passion, a lot of love with our uh, fire personnel and our fire department, a lot of passion in our community for for this and a lot of passion for our, for our city. Um, I know this isn't your first time that CAL FIRE has come in to present um, the services to a city such as ours. So I'm, I'm grateful for that, that we're not reinventing the wheel here. My question for you today is in regards to this process, uh, as representatives of the community, uh, not only do we represent the concerns of our personnel, but also the concerns of our community. Um, along with your presentation here, if the council does decide to move forward uh, with this idea and this presentation that you brought, are there any um, concerns or roadblocks or issues that have come up in the past that have yet to have been discussed here in your presentation that we might need to uh, discuss or talk about because we will be, again, uh, faced responsible with our community. Uh, this is a very big decision, I know, one with none of us here are looking at uh, haphazardly or flippantly making this decision. It's a it's a you know big decision for us. So uh, again, just the question is: is, is there something else for the community roadblocks challenges if we were to go forward with this transition uh, that needs to be addressed or looked into? So we do have to move through the LAFCO process, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, I'm not that familiar with it. And, and Steve Lucas and probably can um, provide more information. And, and there are some some things that need to be accomplished through that with and, community meetings and that's zone that's zoning right no they, they it's it's a new it's a senate bill that was established in 2015 that required anytime 25 percent of a, uh, a a fire department is um is more than 25 percent of a fire department its services pro provided by somebody else lafco has to review it to make sure that one the, uh, the local government agency that's contracting out can afford it, that there was public input, and then they at the end will say, you've met the requirements of this Senate bill, you can move forward. That's the only really hurdle that I would say that, and I don't even think it's a hurdle because I haven't ever heard of LAFCO saying, you guys can't do it, I'm sorry. Um, in this case, it would have to be something, it, and what that prevent, what, was, what that is trying to prevent is some parts of the state, there's been some politics played with public safety, whether it's fire, law enforcement, and political agendas. It's supposed to be the filter to make sure they're doing it for the right reasons, and, it is, and it's an enhancement to the community. Um, I don't see that as an issue in this one. I think it's going to be a uh, fairly obvious, should the council want this, it's good for the community and it's good for the surrounding area, it'll move forward. So other than that, uh, and then may, unless you guys are taking some uh, um, political heat from your constituents after you vote yes or no, that, you know, that, that would be up to you whether or not it would derail the process. But I, I will tell you, once you, you issue the letter intent, um, it triggers a massive amount of workload for everyone and the ball starts to rolling. I, I understand legally until there's pen on paper, um, mm -hmm. nothing's in agreement, but... Um, you, that's something to consider as you move forward. Once the ball gets rolling, um, there would have to be something significant on your guys' part to say, hey, we don't want it anymore. That, that would be our ask of you 
um, because it's a massive amount of work to start the transition process. Se second question I have, and my final question is regarding, um, I'm not quite sure how Cal Fire works with its, I I'm guessing, like with us, you know, <laughs> um, council member Pittman and Hatley have a lot more experience than I do in regarding uh, being in a union and working with union and, and whatnot, but we negotiate with our, um, you know, our, our employee unions and whatnot. And one thing that uh, we do have to face here with our uh, fire department here is our binding arbitration. Um, what? How does Cal Fire work in regarding uh, raises, compensation, all that? How do you guys have that? Do you guys work with that? Like, what's your process in regarding? raises bonuses all that kind of stuff so we do we do have a large labor organization as you as you can imagine and it's funny when i describe them they're a very powerful labor organization at the state level they spend a lot of time uh um directing how we operate on a statewide level at the local level um it's they're not as engaged on what we do operationally it, they they are they absolutely are but our labor is very powerful at the the, the larger um, perspective of state government. So when we do go into labor negotiations on pay and benefits, it happens with our labor representative, the the, the Cal Fire labor representative, and state personnel board at the Sacramento level. It doesn't happen at the local level, unfortunately. One of the disadvantages of a cooperative fire protection agreement is you have no control over that negotiation. Um, you, they, they negotiate a pay raise, you guys are stuck with it. But I will tell you, um, we went 15 years without a pay raise. They recently got one and, and it's already been factored in. Um, we took a 7.5% pay cut last year. You received the benefit of that 7.5% pay pay percent pay cut without labor negotiations so i can tell you as the economy dips so does state salaries you saw the governor um the 10 percent we ended up with seven and a half um so it does fluctuate where there are some disadvantages there's also some advantages that you don't have to spend that time negotiating with labor and you get the benefits when there are reductions my yeah with with that just our concern here is you know if i'm if I'm negotiating with my money, I'm going to be a little less, I'm going to be a little more passionate than if I'm negotiating with Chuck's money, you know, it, you know, be like, all right, great. I agree. Chuck, this is what you got to pay, you know? Absolutely. So. And that's been a concern of every <clears throat> government entity that, that contracts with, with Cal Fire for fire protection. Um, remember, it, it wouldn't just affect Oroville, it fixed the... 101 cooperative fire protection agreements we have throughout the state. So if they get a 2% raise, everybody in that cooperative fire protection agreement is going to pay a 2% increase. Um, and I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you, you just don't have control over labor negotiations. But I would bet um, there's also some benefits of not having labor negotiations um, under your belt. And I would imagine for some, it may outweigh the potential increases um, not having to deal with labor negotiations on a continual basis. I, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but I totally understand is bargaining is going on and you have no say in it. Do you guys have binding arbitration with your employees? We do not have binding arbitration right now. I think they're trying to get it, uh, but we do not have it. 
Thank you, sir. Councilmember Pittman. Uh, Chief, thank you very much. Uh, I've been impressed with your presentation. I have a few questions that came from some constituents that I need to ask. Um, but I also want to say that um, my observation is your department's well served by your service with them. And you should transfer that up to command because I'm very impressed with your knowledge and your skill set to answer these questions. I appreciate that very much. One of the unique things that we have in Oroville is a city charter. And I have to ask this question, who would actually select the fire chief for this contract? I would. Okay. And, that, and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being frank. We would. That, you as a, as a unit uh, chief? As a unit chief, I would select it. Okay. I would take in consideration uh, the needs of the city, who is the best fit. I would probably consult with the city administrator sure. and say, here's a person I think would fit. At the end of the day, um, I would have authority to put into that position. But we do not, we do not, uh, if there was a con concern from the council of a specific person, we take that in consideration. For example, my position, when I put in for my position, uh, this, the county administrative officer sat on the interview panel and had mm -hmm. selection for, as me representing the county fire chief. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, I, I would have the authority to do that. Appreciate that. I have a little supplement to that. As I mentioned, the city charter is rather unique in the description of the fire chief for this agency. And in times of uh, disaster and emergency, the fire chief is listed as supreme authority over the city, over all, even law enforcement. I doubt you have that language in any other city charter, but um, I just mentioned that because it's something unique. It may have to be addressed by this council. Um, and I'm not trying to say anything about anybody. It's just a unique situation. And that is the only description for the fire chief of this community. I thought Supreme I was in charge of wars. <laughs> I'm still asking. I'm not sure we want that. <laughs> I'm still asking what supreme authority means. <laughs> uh, the other question I had is, um, and kind of on the fire marshal status, we had a situation last year where uh, the city issued the fire permit for a fireworks display. And um, at the no, at the day before the fireworks display, the, the, the governor made a decision to not allow fireworks demonstrations. If the city issued the fireworks uh, pyrotechnic display permit, would the governor have authority as uh, over you as the employee or would the city have the authority? No, we still follow all rules, regulations, policies, codes, ordinance that is dictated by you. Um, the governor can't say because you're a state employee, I'm telling you, you have to do this. You are the ones that make that decision. We, we, would, we work for you. Appreciate that. The third question I had is in the contract proposal, is, there a, is the dispatch PSAP services broken out or is this just included in that? It's included in that. I could provide you a breakout for, yeah. for that, that piece. It, it does uh, include two dispatchers or comm operators for our position to accommodate the 6,000 calls we'll pick up. Right. Um, and that's factored into that amount. Thank you. I appreciate that. Again, great presentation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, you, your service with your agency does them proud. Councilmember Riggs. Thank you, Mayor Reynolds. Uh, and thank you for your presentation, Chief Messina. I do have a question that um, might be best served by chief tenants or 
or Mr. Joe Deal, um, and that's is there. We're looking at a increase in spending for fire if we pursue this contract. Is there a comparative plan or analysis that um, represents those increases but keeps our fire department? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> The short answer is approved no we've uh, as a as a fire department as a as a public safety department we began looking at options when um shortly out shortly before amadeo's situation became uh, known by everybody and the fire department worked on a five-year plan uh, that five-year plan has not pre been presented to council it's not been um, reviewed and it's not been approved the, the the makeup of it is there, but it's not been presented. So there is something there, but nothing that's been reviewed or presented at this time. <clears throat> does that answer your question? It does. Um, is there administrative justification on why that hasn't been presented? I don't know that I, I have that answer as to why it hasn't been presented. I take direction from the council, um, and I think this came first. Thank you. You're welcome. Does that conclude your presentation? Com final comment. Mm -hmm. I totally understand. And I apologize. I'll make it quick. I, I promise. Mm -hmm. This is a very important decision you're making. Um, and I understand that there's some controversy that's been with it, probably less now than there has in the past. But um, I just want to make sure that our proposal ensures that there's, you know, continued local control and protection of the city while maintaining the history of the fire department. Um, and, I, and I think what we've presented to you today is what we feel as fire professionals is a reasonable proposal to provide fire protection uh, to your citizens and increase that level of service. And with that, I conclude my presentation. Thank you. We're, we're going to take some questions from the public, but I'd like to comment on that because... Um, it sometimes it's frustrating having all of the information and not being able to to share it um, <clears throat> because things are in negotiations and and things like that but but I really want to thank you chief for dispelling uh, not only the rumors and accusations but the right out and out lies from this community about what has transpired, what was transpiring with this council, with Cal Fire, with uh, Orville Fire Department. Uh, I heard one as ridiculous as I built the Cal Fire station um, and I'm paying you guys back by giving you this contract. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. I've had that contract for over three and a half years with a general contractor. I never interacted with CAL FIRE. I've built many fire stations over the last 30 years, and uh, not once did I interact with the fire agency. I work for general contractors, not fire agencies. So uh, I have a just, comment on that. We don't even get to pick where we put the light switches, let alone who does the work for our facilities. It happens out of Sacramento. No, it's it's just so ridiculous. I people are misinformed, underinformed. Too many highballs or beers in the evening on social media. They, I wish they would just uh, really settle down and ask questions. We're we're all community members here. Come come and ask us questions. 
Don't uh, act like you know us and then jump on social media and accuse us of out, outright lies and dishonesty. You elected us. Trust us. Call us. Ask us questions. So I really appreciate you and your, your presentation. Just absolutely stellar, sir. Thank you. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have any questions from the public? Yes, we do, Mr. Mayor. Um, I've been requested by the attorney to read this paragraph first. Um, so please remember when um, that we will allow one person per device to provide public comment, you need to use the raise your hand feature on Zoom. For those accessing the meeting via computer or smartphone, the raise your hand feature can be selected by clicking or tapping on it. For those who are using a telephone audio only, and you, uh, you can use the raise your hand feature when the item for which you desire to provide comment is called on by pressing star nine on your keypad to raise your hand. When it's your turn to speak, the clerk will call on you. So as of right now, it looks like I have three people raising their hand. If other public members would like to comment, please select the raise your hand feature. Our first speaker is Bobby O'Reilly. Can you hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Good afternoon, Council. Chief Messina, thank you. Great presentation. First, I'd like to start off by saying uh, I appreciate CAL FIRE. CAL FIRE is a great agency. I work alongside CAL FIRE as a private contractor every year. Uh, top-notch guys I appreciate them my issue is that we the citizens of Oroville pass measure you with the assumption and being told that the measure you funding would be used for uh, approximately 75% for our public safety that including fire and police to correct a comment made earlier regarding dispatch uh, it was said that Oroville City Dispatch the PD gets the call then they transfer it to fire then it gets dispatched out uh, and that CAL FIRE gets their own dispatch. Orville City, when they get a call, it goes right to the same dispatch. PD and fire department is the same dispatch. CAL FIRE, the calls go through the sheriff's department or CHP and then get fielded to, C uh, to CAL FIRE. With all that said, I have a, a issue with this meeting taking place right now. As the law defines for a special meeting, are to be held with spe uh, specific business so urgent it cannot wait till the next regularly scheduled meeting. The Brown Act requires that special meeting agendas be posted 24 hours in advance. Special meetings are not a safety net for regular meetings that did not get posted on time. There's no reason this meeting could not have happened at Tuesday's meeting or the next regularly, uh, regularly scheduled meeting. So as of right now, today I'm informing Oroville City Council, I am uh, issuing a Brown Act violation to the Oroville City Council for holding this special meeting with no urgency as to a need for a special meeting rather than having this meeting at a regularly scheduled meeting. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Kay Castro. Good afternoon. Uh, it's almost afternoon. Council, Mr. Mayor, uh, Chief Messina, it's so nice um, to, uh, to see your presentation. Thank you. I am also on the uh, Parks Commission and the Measure U Citizens Advisory Commission so uh, Committee, so I do see a lot of synergies going on in our city right now. Um, I would like to um, recommend, uh, based on being on the Parks Commission, we've had three 
scheduled and well-publicized workshops and opportunities for community input regarding a current proposal coming down uh, for Hewitt Park. I would like to see some sort of workshops or additional um, public information with a little bit more notice um, about this issue um, moving forward, uh, if we can, before a decision is made. My question, however, is in regard to the five minute response time at 90% um, metric. And I'm wondering with this increase or the change to CAL FIRE, I have two questions. One is, what is our current success rate on that goal of a five minute response time 90% of the time? What is our current um, success rate on that? And what would the improvement, if any, be going to CAL FIRE? Thank you. I think I'll bring Chief Tins up to discuss your current response times. As, as like I said, this wasn't a standards of cover, nor was it a fire department performance analysis that we completed. That takes uh, months and months of work and lots of detail, and that wasn't the intent of a proposal. So I'll let him speak on the current response times. Hit your mic. There you go. Okay, there we go. So I could touch on that. Um, I'm very familiar with our response times, our response covers in the, in the standard um, as far as what we can cover from Station 1. Station 1 is in a great location. It's in a great core area. Um, and the response times of five minutes um, throughout the whole city, we're covering about 35% of the city in five minutes or less. So you'll see over five minutes more than half of the time. And that has to do with double lapping calls and just the overall... Um, the distance of, of our city. You know, we can only respond so fast. Depends on the time of day. Is traffic out? Um, are we hitting red lights? Is it nighttime? We'll be a little bit faster because we're not going through traffic. But to answer the question, the citizen's question, um, we're hitting about uh, five minutes, 35% of the time. Thank you. Our next public speaker is the cameraman. Uh, well, almost afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Oroville City Council. Uh, pretty much, uh, that was a good presentation. It answered a majority of the questions I had. Um, my only question remaining is, uh, what about uh, public records when it comes to CAL FIRE uh, now with this proposed uh, position? Um, I can go to the Oroville City Fire Department slash Police Department, since they're right there in the same building, and get the CAD log, if a computer-aided dispatch log. Um, but for CAL FIRE incidents, I've gone to the CAL FIRE office on uh, Grand, and I've been told that uh, records are dealt out of a different office in Bangor, I believe I was, I was told. Um, so is it going to fall under CAL FIRE's uh, records management, or is it going to still be the same? And I'd just like to briefly comment on Mr. O'Reilly. I agree with uh, his comment. This should have been at a regularly scheduled meeting. I don't see why it couldn't have been at a regularly scheduled meeting, and I definitely agree on that point. Thank you. I'll answer your question about the public records. Uh, all those are housed in our CAD system, similar to Oroville City. The request goes through our Prevention Bureau, which will be at 220 Grand Avenue after we move into our new facility. 
and the request goes in. We put, put it through the command center. They generate the report and provide it to the, um, the, the, those who are requesting it. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Don Will. Yeah, thank you. Two questions, one for the city council, the second one for the uh, Cal Fire chief. The first question I have is, are you anticipating uh, implementing any additional taxes or special fees to assist with paying for the contract. And the question for the chief is, uh, within the city or even the county, do you anticipate seeing uh, backfilling occurring with uh, private contract engines? Thank you. Mr. Mayor, I can answer the question regarding the tax or the fee. No, there is no anticipated tax or free fee increase based upon this proposal. Yeah. There you go. And uh, the response to using private vendors to backfill, uh, absolutely not. If there is anyone else wishing to speak, you need to raise your hand. Mr. Mayor, I'm not seeing anyone else using the raise your hand feature requesting to speak at this time. Uh, just to note for the record though, there were four public comments that I received by email. I did send those out to you guys uh, yesterday. So you should have received those by email as well. And those are available on our website. Uh, are, having no more public comments, are there any comments from this dais? Councilmember Goodson wishes to speak. Thank you so much for the presentation. It was very um, thorough and in information um, update. Um, thank you. It's no secret that our city has grown and there must be an increase in our public safety personnel to accommodate and to reflect the population growth rate. There are two council members sitting on this dais, Hatley and myself, that know all too well the challenges that we faced when the voters did not approve Measure R. Hadley advocated for Measure U to pass with a two-thirds majority vote. The option was for it to pass with 51%, and it did for a 1% sales tax increase. It passed not because the citizens trusted the council at that time, but because they could see for themselves that the city of Oroville was working with a $1.8 million deficit and services were not being provided for the citizens. We needed more safety equipment. We needed more public safety personnel. It passed with a very clear understanding that the council would use that funding from the 1% to provide public safety services to the residents to maintain and to sustain these services. I would propose allowing the Oroville Fire Department an opportunity to present their five-year um, plan of proposal to continue to provide Oroville City services to all areas, inclusive of El Medeo, with the necessary resources, equipment, and personnel staffing. 
use what is needed from the provisional funding by and from the 1% sales tax. Choose a futuristic date for a reevaluation and a reassessment. And um, I look forward to hearing that proposal from uh, the Oroville Fire Department. Thank you. Councilmember Hatley. Thank you. Um, I'm, I agree with that. The, the people were sold on the idea of Measure U, uh, the 1%, because we were told we were going to put boots on the ground and, and provide the services, police and fire. Now, I understand that, that what you're proposing here is you're going to say, or somebody's going to say that that's exactly what you're doing. However, that's not with the intent or the message that was sent to our local people, to our citizens that voted on that. They were given the impression and in some cases told outright that it was going to be our fire department and our police department and not going out to some other agency. Um, even though you can call it whatever it is, it's still going to be Cal Fire because, as you said, you're in charge. And yours is the last word said. Um, the thing that, that also causes me a great deal of concern, we're dealing with 18, not just individuals, but families. So every, anything this council does is going to impact those 18 people or 18 families. And they've been here their entire career, most of them, um, that, you know, I mean, we've had a lot of, of, of the older guys retire and, 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 move, and move on, but still the idea is this. Uh, people, the citizens in this town are unique. They are. You can say whatever you want, but Orville is unique. And the people have a certain idea of what they think they're getting and what they actually get and they don't they don't forget and uh, they again they were told or led to him to believe that this was going to remain kind of status quo as far as as the ownership and that of this department the other thing that bothers me about this whole thing here is is what I'm looking at and and I'm sure it's there's some thing here but we're looking at a contract it's it I heard it was two years, but it's three. Is that correct? Three years? We, we recommend a three-year contract. It's up to the discretion of the council. It could be year to year. It could be five-year. It is uh, up to the council's discretion. We recommend a three-year because of the workload it creates on both parties to generate a contract. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> to me, something where we're contemplating uh, getting rid of a, a complete department I mean turning it over to somebody else and personally I think that should be a super majority of this council to do that now I'm sure that there there's been loopholes looked at and tried to figure out a way to do it without the super majority and to me I just want the public to know I think that's absolutely wrong absolutely wrong it should be a super majority of this if we're gonna if we're going to eliminate a department 
And you can say you're not going to, oh, it'll still be Orville fire. No, it won't. It'll be Cal fire, and that's exactly what it's going to be, whether we have, I mean, that's just what it is. And so to me, that's what motivates me to, to have pause in this, because I don't see where uh, we haven't heard from, and this is the first time I heard that there was a five-year plan. I didn't know there was one, but um, uh I'd like to see that because I don't know that we've explored everything. And I think that, that the public out here, uh, again, if you think they're going to forget what you do today, guess again. Guess again because I've lived in this town many, many years, and they don't forget. So with that, I mean, I, I appreciate this. And, and believe me, this is nothing negative to you or to Cal Fire or anything else. I'm just telling you that for me personally, this is not a good thing for me. So thank you. So I'm going to I'm going to comment a little bit on the, the first of all I wasn't privy to any of those conversations where uh, Measure U money was promised to certain individuals um, in a certain area. It was for public safety, and uh, this this department uh, wouldn't be going away. It would be enhanced. Uh, we have to grow with with our community growing. We can't sit here in the same old building with the same people going, uh, gee, I hope nothing happens. Um, I'm, I look at it differently. And, and I don't measure you to me was to enhance the safety of over 100,000 residents because that's what our sphere of influence is. It wasn't to enrich 18 residents. It was to enhance safety for over a hundred thousand, and that is my perspective on this. Our our firefighters are well paid. I pulled their pay records. They are they are taken care of. They're not going to lose a dime. They're not going to lose. Uh, they're going to be parking in the same parking spot. Uh, it's not. Uh, I don't know if it's lack of understanding of what's going on or or if it's. Uh, just uh, an attempt to mislead the public, but this is an enhancement. It is not a taking away. You're going to be standing there with a bucket of water wishing that we had a fire department. Pumping fear is not a good method in, in my eyes. I think that we should let the public know that we're looking out for all of them, all of the community members, instead of enriching the lives of 18. They're not going to lose a dime. They're not losing their jobs. They don't have to turn the Escalade in and get the uh, Prius. They don't have to do that. They're, they're going to continue living the way they lived. So nobody's victimizing anyone. These are adults. They've, they've made professional decisions, and these are uh, professionals that are are making decisions trying to enhance their lives for them to give them more options to uh there's there will be more choices for them not less council member smith i apologize a little bit here kind of pulling into our own internal um i think uh, politics and and perspectives um but 
I think all and all of us have an opinion and just ask 10 people and you'll probably get 10 opinions and I just want to be you know clear that I some very close friends constituents people have supported me have varying different views on this issue so this is not an easy you know hurdle or decision as you can well imagine for any of us uh, at the end of the day um, I think perspective is what's in the best interest of our community and how can these services be enhanced and the, the quality of service uh, rendered and improved. And, and so sometimes that comes, years ago somebody said to me, uh, you know, change is hard but growth demands it. Um, it's a cliche but I think it's fitting for this moment. Uh, whether uh, a, a, an alternative plan is offered uh, by Chief Tins or uh, we move forward with this presentation, uh, it's going to certainly uh, bring change and there's going to be growth and, you know, that's a challenge. Um, just on the, the Measure U dollars, um, I, again, if you ask five people, you're going to get five different opinions. Uh, but from my perspective, you know, looking at the earlier Measure R and uh, it not pulling through and then Measure U later on pulling through. There was also a sea change in climate. There was some of us with a business background and, and I think that our involvement, you know, again, for lack of a better way of saying this, we're pulling in the politics, there was those of us on both sides of the aisle, you have the center, I think from the right and the left, there was a perspective that we're going to walk this out together and, and because of our involvement from the business sector getting involved and, and, and pulling alongside and saying, you know, we're going to uh, look at Oroville, we're going to apply some business principles uh, to the budget uh, challenges that are, that are here. And I think that that gave uh, a greater level of confidence to the community as a whole to, uh, to step up and pass the measure. Again, you ask five people, you're going to get five different opinions, but that's at least my personal perspective. So that being said, I'm looking at this in part from a business management point of view. I am, personally. You know, does this, personalities, all, all things aside, at the end of the day, is, is this in the best interest of Orville? At the end of the day, we have to be able to make that quality and a qualified decision. Um, also, I think that the sense of, involvement and hearing from our community, our constituents, who feel somewhat disenfranchised from this process, partly because of these, the COVID-19, here we are, we're in, I'm in this little cubicle here. Um, and so I think that to make this decision today, uh, I, I, I'm not prepared to do that. I think we need to have opportunity to hear from um, our own Orville Fire Department. I think we need to have an opportunity to hear from some of the folks that are out front. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm perfectly comfortable with vigorous debate. And, you know, we, but we as a community need to have this conversation. That's why I apologize to you because you're kind of standing up there. And it's hard for you to, you can't really answer this stuff. But we have to slog this out uh, and work this out. And at the end of the day, we have to make the best decision for our community moving forward, all things considered. And so I guess I'm just wanting to get that out there, air that out in the open. We have differences of opinion, difference of opinion about Measure U dollars, what they mean, what, are, what is our responsibility to that, what is the level, what, is, what was the percentage that was committed to, uh, it, would that mean it's okay then to contract out those services because yes, it was for police and fire, 
but I think contracting services is certainly within uh, the parameters of rendering a, a, a potentially a better quality of service that can happen. Um, so at the end of the day, it's the product, it's the quality of that product, it's being responsible to the budget and the management of all things considered. So this is, this is again, a, a complex issue. I think we owe it to our constituents, to our community. Uh, there's been some issues raised about the, the, you know, this meeting today, the special meeting. Uh, I, I appreciate those concerns. I, I hear uh, the concerns that are being raised. And, uh, and so I, I'm hopeful and I, and I have a, a sense um, that there, there may be some agreement with, you know, not making it where we're not putting ourselves in a position to have to make a decision, but to, to further this conversation. I don't think it's going to hurt that we not make it today, that we can kind of push this into uh, further council meetings and, uh, and allow the public to weigh in. And, and I'm not afraid at the end of the day to make a tough decision, whatever that is. Um, and, and I know there's going to be people that aren't going to agree. Uh, there never is, you never have 100% agreement, but that's okay. We can, I think we can make the hard decision, but at the end of the day, the right decision for Oroville. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, if we could, if we have, if the council has no other questions for Chief Messina, can we um, allow Chief Messina to go have lunch and we can move into closed <laughs> Absolutely. session? Absolutely. Thank you so much for your presentation, yeah. sir. Thank you, sir. Mr. Mayor, if, if I might, before we, uh, before you convene a closed session, this is Scott Huber, the city attorney. I, I did want to address just a couple of, um, I never take lightly and I always bristle anytime you get an allegation of a Brown Act violation. And so I want to address that right up front and head on. <clears throat> um, the government code 54956 provides that a special meeting can be called by the mayor, the city administrator, or other members of the council as approved by, by, uh, by policy of the, uh, of the body in compliance with the government code. Uh, a, the, the meeting must be um, called and posted a minimum of 24 hours before the special meeting that was done in this instance. A notice that, that notice must contain the time and place for the meeting that was done in this instance. A statement of the business to be transacted that was done in this instance. And the opportunity for the public to address the legislative body on that item. By the very fact that we had public comment that gives, the, that gives them the ability to address this item. There is no limit as to the subjects that can be discussed in closed session, or I'm sorry, in a special meeting, except there are a few contained in government code 3511.1, and those are salary schedules, compensation schedules, fringe benefits paid to a local agency executive. That is the only prohibited item from closed session. So there is absolutely positively no Brown Act violation in this instance by the subject matter that you're discussing. I just wanted the council to have that information. Appreciate that, Mr. Attorney. I think we were all aware of that. That's a buzzword used to create fear. Um, were there any other comment? Councilmember Goodson, did you wish to speak on this item? Uh, yes, thank you. I have a question for Deputy Chief Timms. The question is, I would like to know, and I'm sure that the council well, I'm just going to speak on behalf of Goodson. I would like to know when and how expeditiously um, your five-year proposal um, could be brought forth to this council and to the community. <clears throat> um, that's kind of a tough question. It, it, it's really 
it, there's a lot of input. Um, I, it took me about a year to kind of prepare. When when I took over as deputy fire chief, I had recognized you know some areas that needed some improvement, right? So this is one of those things that I, I tasked myself and, and some of my management team with me, and we started working on it. It took us um, about a year. Um, I feel very confident, comfortable with it. I've been working in South. I've, I worked for El Madeo for 10 years. I worked for Oroville for 10 years. I'm very familiar with both agencies. I've also worked in the county for almost 20. So the, the needs were, were um, from my experience and talking to, I'm a second gen generation firefighter from talking to my dad. This was a problem, um, you know, years and years ago, and I say problem vaguely, just as far as the different agencies and needing that strategic plan to bring multiple agencies together and formalize a plan that is sustainable and economically friendly. So um, I've done that, I've started, I have a strong, um, um, starting point, I would consider it definitely in a draft process, um, and um, obviously it would need to go through review. Um, uh, there's numbers in there, costs. Um, ultimately, it, 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 it's covering um, what the citizen had asked about the standards of coverage. Um, is basically working towards a goal of 90% coverage throughout the city in five minutes or less, a total city coverage plan specific to the city. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, as far as time, I, yes. I, I don't really know. I could give you the gist of it um, probably in, in less than a month. Thank you so. very much. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Pittman. Yeah, uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, actually, Councilman Goodson, I think uh, your idea is uh, really innovative. I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it. Uh, I'm aware of the plan only because I was asked from a historical perspective um, to help with historical issues that had been in the past in, as I came from the fire service. So uh, it, it makes a good idea. I mean, for us to have uh, input uh, for a great decision, as Councilman Smith says, it's not a bad idea. I, I agree with your suggestion entirely. Thank you. Are there any other comments? This time we'll convene the closed session. Jack, you're the outside. Uh, I'm working on it. I'm in the microphone.